You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Hey everyone, how are you? What's new? What's going on? How was your Thanksgiving? Welcome, come sit down, relax. I want to have a conversation with you guys, just you and me today. Um, full transparency, I had everything set up. I was supposed to do a podcast with another guest today. And uh, often this happens, uh, the guest uh, doesn't show up. <laughs> uh, and I don't think it's a negative thing. I think they probably just forgot or don't check their phone with all the alerts and shit that happen. Um, but I, I was like, fuck it, man. I've got everything set up. I should catch up with you guys. We should spend some one-on-one time together. Um, I always like these episodes where I get to just vent to you and uh according to your feedback you guys like these episodes too so catch me up what's happening how was your thanksgiving i am recording this on the 30th of november it will come out next week so it may be too far out from thanksgiving from you you may sit here and go oh for the love of god you're going to talk about thanksgiving we're past that it's christmas time we're already buying our trees and shit i still am just blown away by how quickly we all want to get into Christmas. You know, it was like two weeks before fucking Thanksgiving that Christmas shit was in stores. You know, it wasn't like the turkey, the carcass wasn't in the trash can. And my neighbors already have up all their lights and their inflatable Santas and all their shit. What the fuck? Relax. It's coming. We have a whole month of it. A whole month of December of Christmas music and all sorts of shit happening. Let's just take a minute and appreciate what we just did, right? How was your Thanksgiving? Mine was fucking awesome. I had such a great day. Um, You know, being a director that isn't directing right now, I sort of took the Thanksgiving dinner on as my my own little production. Uh, I was very excited because I was having guests to the house. Uh, We actually cooked for eight and I, I know that doesn't seem like a ridiculous number, but it's still big enough that I had to go out and rent a uh, table and chairs that were large enough to accommodate our guests. Um, and I fucking took the whole week. I took the whole week to do this right. Um, and I put together a menu, put together uh, this, the, the situation in which uh, created a great Thanksgiving. And a big shout out to everybody that follows me on Instagram at Mike Petchy. You guys uh, may have seen my posts about prepping the turkey and prepping the food. I did a dry brine this year. Uh, I, and the crew has been telling me for ages to do a dry brine. He's like, you know, get with it, bro. He's right. You were right. It was really fucking good. Um, salted and seasoned that bird uh, with uh, fresh herbs and everything and let that sit in the fridge for two days which is strange to me. The idea of like leaving poultry essentially uncovered in your refrigerator, safely, of course, but uncovered in your refrigerator for two days to dry out. It's just like, well, okay. I get it, aging and I get it. And the idea is that the salt's gonna draw out all the moisture out of the skin. And then at that point, it becomes incredibly crispy. Well, I fucking worked. It was the best bird, man. And I, and I my little secret move was uh, actually in the brining process, uh, zesting lemons from our tree out front uh, into the into the salt, and then uh, coating the bird with that, and it just gave it the 
the slightest bit of a citrus vibe uh, in the white meat, which was so great. Because we had eight people, I had to sort of figure out, okay, what's the calculation? How big of a bird do I get? I don't know if you guys have done this, but as you look around online and you do the search, you know, I was like, okay, well, how much do people eat? How, how much should I get? And generally it was a pound and a half per person, if not two pounds for leftovers. Well, I've learned my lesson over the years of uh, doing recipes online. And let me give you guys just a little bit of insight here. If I, Recipes are a great starting place. So if you need a cool idea, if you're looking for something that's really great, um, you go look for recipes. I'm a big fan of uh, Bon Appetit, and I, they're not sponsoring the show or anything. But I ended up, I had to fucking subscribe to the magazine to get recipes online right now, which was like a pretty ballsy move on their part. But regardless, um, I like their shit. They tend to kind of go a little bit further with their seasoning options and stuff as opposed to like the basic stuff. But anyway, pick your site if you're looking for a recipe and just take into consideration that they're generally making it the most PG-13 possible to appeal to the broadest audience of folks. They're never going to overly season it. They're never going to be ballsy with their seasoning because uh, the larger audience won't like that, right? So whenever I look at recipes online or if I read about how much turkey you're supposed to buy for people, I always add more. I use more garlic. I use more herbs. I buy a bigger fucking turkey. <laughs> and that's what I did. It was a 20 pounder, which is a big bird. And the, anywhere that you read or any of the research you're doing, 20 pounds is a dangerous territory, right? In order to cook that fucking thing correctly and get all the temperatures right, you're really running the risk of drying out that meat, drying out the bird. And some of you may be prepping to do, maybe you don't do turkey on Thanksgiving. Maybe you're going to do turkey on uh, Christmas time. And this will be this will be useful information for you. So what I did was I did a dry brine, which I can't believe how well that worked. Like it, the flavor of the turkey was so wonderful. I made sure to buy a heritage bird, buy a bird that wasn't brined prior to it. So if you get any of the butterball turkeys or any of that kind of shit from, um, you know, like Ralph's, um, then that stuff's been pre-brined. So you got to be careful. You don't want to over-salt that shit because you'll end up with like really salty meat. And a lot of that stuff's been wet-brined, which a lot of people say sort of destroys the texture of the meat and it just tastes like salt water. It doesn't really taste like turkey. So with the dry-brining process, the salt pulls out not only the moisture out of the meat, but the salt also penetrates the flesh and uh, really saturates it. And fuck, man, it worked really well. What I did uh, to keep the rest of the bird interesting, because the big dilemma I have is that a big portion of, of these birds is like leg and thigh. And there are folks that are like, I'm a white meat person, I'm a dark meat person. Typically, one is suffering when you're roasting, right? And when you're trying to bite into a turkey leg that's been roasted in the oven, it's just full of all like these like ligaments and all this cartilage and all like this like bone shit and it's really difficult to eat. Um, so what I did was like, fuck it. Let's, let's cut off the thighs. Let's cut off the legs and let's do them special. Let's do a braise of these. Let's make them so that they're fall apart and really amazing to eat. 
Um, and that will protect the breast because then I could just focus heavily on just cooking the breast correctly. Um, and man, it worked so fucking well. I braised them in uh, the flavor, the same flavor profile that the actual breast was being roasted in. So a lot of the same herbs, um, like a lot of uh, rosemary, a lot of thyme, a lot of that stuff. And uh, braised these thighs and legs for about four and a half hours in um, turkey stock. And uh, they came out fucking great. And I did them the night before because uh, then I could just reheat them that day for Thanksgiving. And my God, they were amazing. Like showstoppers. Um, it was so fucking fun, dude. And uh, I was so excited about it. It was my cheat days uh, where, you know, obviously I've been dieting on getting off of as much cholesterol as possible. And by the way, I really appreciate everybody on Instagram who just gives me shit for that. I, I love it when it's like, man, you've lost your edge. <laughs> I used to go follow your account for barbecue stuff all the time. You've lost your edge. Uh, what was one of the quotes? It was, uh, I never th- I never thought a day, I never saw the, thought I'd see the day where you were posting fucking salads and shit. And I'm like, come on, man, I will die. <laughs> I will die earlier. I have to sort of adjust this stuff. I'm still here. I still love to make this shit. Um, and so I got really fucking excited. Uh, so much so that I didn't just do a turkey, but I also braised a pork shoulder because it was my fucking cheat day. You know what I mean? Why not? I don't want the uh, the turkey to get lonely. Let's get another farm animal involved. You know, get a pig in there. It was great. We did braised pork, braised turkey legs, amazingly roasted, like, oh my God, so moist, so wonderful, uh, turkey breast, uh, cornbread sausage stuffing, which was really great, uh, red bliss mashed potatoes, green bean with garlic, um, April came over, our friend April came over and she brought over her uh, specialty mac and cheese with like uh, like hot Cheetos on top, which were, which was pretty awesome. And then Will came over. Um, and he brought over pies and apparently he knows how to fucking bake a pie. Good job, Will. Uh, cause his pies fucking rocked. He did an apple and a pecan and it was great. The atmosphere was set. Um, we had such a great little table setting. We sat around and listened to vinyls. We ate a lot of fucking food. Um, I was talking to my dad last night and, uh, he was like, how's Thanksgiving? I'm like, yeah, it was kind of like my little movie. I sort of put together a little production and if, if that dinner was a film, then we had a fucking hit. Like, it was a hit. And I felt really good about it. So good, in fact, that the day after, I was kind of depressed. I was like, oh, fuck. Now what, man? <laughs> now what? You know, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm, like, fucking planning my Christmas, which is going to be fun. We'll do the night before, seven fishes and something else. We'll get into that. Um, but uh, it was a lot of fun. I know that some of you were like, oh my God, this is a food episode. It's not. I'm just catching you up, man. Talking about Thanksgiving. I'm also very excited to let you guys know, and I'm not going to talk about it till later on in the episode, but uh, we got a big contest here on the show. Very excited. We're teaming up with the company that makes and and, uh, sells the fucking tracksuits. And uh, you guys are going to be excited to, to, to be a part of this because I'm going to be giving away two track suits. We'll talk about it later on the show. Um, all right. So let's see what else is going on besides cooking and eating and and slowly weaning myself uh, back onto my diet. 
which today I did my bike ride and everything. It was good. Um, we've been going to see a lot of movies. A lot of great fucking films have been coming out. Have you guys been going to the movies? Have you gone to the theater? Um, I convinced, I was talking to dad last night and I convinced him he's a huge Dune fan. He's read all the books. And I was like, you gotta go to the fucking theater. You gotta go see in the theater. And then I chatted with him last night. (laughs) It's getting old. He was like, yeah, I went. It was really fucking loud. (laughs) I was like, that's the point. It's really loud. I had trouble hearing their dialogue. I was like, well, maybe the mix was strange in the in the, in the theater that you went to. Maybe it came through the speakers odd. He was like, yeah, so I watched it. He thought it was beautiful. And then I went home and I watched it again with subtitles. And I was like, all right, there you go. Supporting both the HBO Max and the theater experience in the same day. Good on you. <laughs> uh, but let's see, what have we seen? We went, uh, we saw House of Gucci, uh, which is great. And, uh, which is really great, by the way. Fucking really, Scott. I can't wait to see The Last Duel. I think that's out today online. So I, I'm going to check that out. Not online, but in uh, for streaming. Uh, I can't wait to see that. I, I don't know why that movie did so bad. Because supposedly it's a fucking great movie. Um, and if you guys haven't heard it yet, Ridley's on Mark Maron's podcast. So he's on WTF. Uh, it kind of blew my face open when I was like, fuck, he's got Ridley on and so I listened to him the other day uh, while riding. And man, God, he is the fucking man. Ridley Scott is a master at what he does. And just the, the genius that this guy has. And I, I hate calling directors geniuses because I don't believe that they were born a genius. I just, I feel like he's worked really hard to figure it all out to get to that level. And the fact that he can jump genres and make some of the most epic, uh, ginormous period pieces slash life-changing sci-fi epics and sci-fi classics, uh, all the way down to comedies like Matchstick Men, right? And then uh, House of Gucci, which if you guys haven't seen it, I'm not going to ruin anything, but uh, I kind of feel like that's a comedy. It's really funny um, and a lot of fun to watch. I really like it when Ridley steps down from his... Uh, epic stuff to do a smaller picture like this and I really dig his aesthetic when he's primarily shooting in Europe and stuff I always like that about Hannibal love or hate that movies you know people pan that film I really like the Rome vibe in that film I've really felt like Rome um, and this this movie spends a lot of time in Italy it spent some time in New York it's all over the place and it's beautifully shot and it's it's a funny fucking movie I really think that uh, Lady Gaga is great in it. It's funny. I, I kind of feel like it's kind of based on her life. <laughs> she hasn't murdered anybody yet, but I, I don't think it's a stretch for her to play that character. Let's just say that. Um, but uh, I really fucking, I really enjoyed it. Um, and um, what's his name? Uh, Al Pacino kills it in that movie. Like he's really, really good. Very well cast in that film and uh let's just say it let's 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 say that i think the best surprisingly the best performance in that movie is jared leto or jared leto as as ridley says um he fucking destroys it too it's a fun film it really is it's a fun movie um 
it's not going to change the world. So don't go in there with super high expectations and just sort of enjoy the ride. And I definitely suggest you go see it in the cinema because it was worth it. Um, that's really great. Uh, Ghostbusters I saw. But before I get to that, I fucking got tickets. I don't know if you guys saw on my Instagram account and you guys know what a fucking Godzilla nerd I am. And I've talked about this on other shows. I, I grew up with Godzilla. I love Godzilla. When I feel like shit and if, if I feel sick, I'm usually t- tossing on to Gina's dismay. I'm usually tossing on an old Godzilla movie to just make me feel better, make myself feel better. And uh, the two movies that I had, the two first uh, Godzilla films that I had on VHS was Godzilla vs. Megalon, which is a totally trashy, totally trashy fucking movie. And then my parents bought me Godzilla 1985. And that's really dark. I think that's my favorite movie in the entire series. And for years, I had only seen 1985, which is the American version. The uh, Japanese version that was released, I think the year prior to that, um, was called The Return of Godzilla. But, you know, as, as they do here in the U.S. at that time period, um, they had to change the cut. They had to make it, um, surprisingly, there's so much that they changed. They had to make Godzilla a bit more of the bad guy in it, which was interesting. And they, of course, brought in Raymond Burr and shot a bunch of new stuff with him. Um, But uh, I went, got tickets, got fucking tickets. I never thought I'd see it in the theater. Uh, But the Alamo Drafthouse was celebrating Godzilla's birthday in November. And they had a bunch of really great film screening and they screened the return of Godzilla in the theater. And, uh, I was late to the party, man. Went to their website initially. Surprisingly, I was looking for something else and I was like, well, what's this? They got some Godzilla movies. What the fuck is this? And as I'm scrolling down through their website, I was like, fuck Godzilla versus the smog monster. I've never seen that before. Let me buy tickets. Bam, buy tickets. And I was like, what else did they got? And I scrolled down even further return of Godzilla and it was fucking sold out. I was so depressed because, <laughs> dude, this movie doesn't didn't even have U.S. distribution forever. I don't even know if it does right now. Um, and so I was just fucking depressed, hard depressed for that week. And I came home. I was like, "Fuck, Gina!" Like, <laughs> I missed it. I'm this movie's never going to be in the cinemas, and I missed it. And I wrote to Alamo, and I, you know, <laughs> tried to use whatever cloud I have. Wrote to them and I said, look, I know you guys only have one screening of this film, um, but can I rent out the theater? I even wrote them. I said, I, I have a podcast. There's a bunch of fans out here in Los Angeles. Can I rent out the theater? Can I screen it? Can I screen the movie? Um, and uh, I was going to talk to them about doing that. And then they added two more shows. And I was like, well, fuck this. I'm, I'm going. So I, I got tickets uh, and I went and uh, I went with our buddy Nick, and I went with Gina, and uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. And the difference is, if you guys are nerds about this, the differences between 1985 and The Return of Godzilla are huge. And the Japanese version was very focused on the nuclear crisis between the Soviets and the U.S., which was a big deal. Um, the launch of the missile that happens in their version was all accidental. And Godzilla in general in that was sort of like a, he was sort of a, he was more of a force of nature in that, where he was just sort of like walking through and doing his thing, you know? And 1985 
is a lot more sinister. You know, I think I think in 1995 the Soviets launched the the weapon, which is it's a funny study in how they can take the same footage and change the narrative completely, which is really interesting. And then um, the music was different. The music for them both uh, is fucking outstanding, like outstanding. I think it's the best score stuff, other than like the traditional Godzilla theme. It's really different, really awesome. Um, and then what I didn't realize is in 1985, they actually brought in another composer and that composer wrote even more music and filled in the gaps. So when I was watching it in, um, the theater, I was like, where's this fucking music cue? And it's like, oh, wow, wow, wow. That was only in 1985. I, I'm, I know I'm getting nerdy about this. It was just really exciting to see. It was also fascinating to see the movie on the big screen and see all the imperfections that I don't necessarily see on VHS or on uh, some of the DVD imports that I have. And one of the things I noticed was that you could see, it was so weird, you could actually see the tiny little holes in his neck so that the actor could see out. And I only saw those. It was the first time I've ever seen that. It was just on the big screen. It was fucking wild. Really great experience. Big thumbs up again, Alamo Draft House. That fucking movie theater can do no wrong. I'm telling you, they're bringing the best stuff. We're going through their website now. They got a bunch of really great Christmas films on the lineup. I know uh, it's going to be Christmas vacation time and all that. I cannot wait. I'm so excited about being here in Los Angeles and enjoying the cinema and enjoying movies. And more importantly, I'm really excited because it was this whole depressing period where it was like cinema is going to be dead movie theater is going to be dead no one's going to give a fuck about movies anymore fuck you it's working it's everybody's going to watch movies again they've had like record breaking numbers of pre-sale for fucking the new spider-man movie um and everybody's been going back to the theater again now i know there's a lot of folks that listen to the show that are on the east coast and the east coast is locking down a lot more right now because it gets cold in the winter and there's a lot of scares about like new strains of COVID. So be safe, be smart, choose your choose your battles. Uh, make sure that uh, you get your booster. I just got my booster this week. I made it through pretty easy. I just had a sore arm. I was uh, bracing myself because the second shot of Moderna kind of knocked me on my ass, but uh, it wasn't too bad. I, I was kind of tired. Um, and uh, my arm is sore, but that's about it. You know, I'm doing okay today. Doing all right. I feel uh, like uh, they sent uh, the little robo fucking, <laughs> the little robo viruses in there to, to teach my boys. It's like the Karate Kid happened in my body where they're like, okay, here's how you fight. You know, and they went in there and they just gave him a little a little reminder. Like, you know, he, he might come at you with a fucking, you know, like a low kick. <laughs> my ear, I mean COVID. What an idiot. <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, so let's talk about Ghostbusters, okay? Um, I was excited for this, you know? I'm a huge, let me be completely upfront, I'm a big Ivan Reitman fan, okay? I think Ivan Reitman is the reason why the first Ghostbusters is amazing. I think he knew how to pilot that ship and on that ship were all these different personalities, these different comedic personalities. You've got uh, Bill Murray interacting with, uh, you know, um, Harold Ramis. 
Dan Aykroyd. So, and his ability to take this group of funny dudes, right? You're talking Stripes, you're talking Caddyshack, you're talking all that. Take these funny guys and put them in a seriously scary movie and make it interesting and make it fun to watch. I honestly feel like the first Ghostbusters is by far my favorite comedy in existence. I think that movie does such a really great job of riding the line between being a scary movie and being a great comedy. And I, oh, everybody loves Bill Murray. I fucking love Harold Ramis in that movie. I love uh, Dan Aykroyd in that movie. It's fucking phenomenal. And when he returned and did Ghostbusters 2, I know the end of the third act of Ghostbusters 2 is kind of shitty, kind of lame. But I'm not going to lie to you. I really love the first two acts of that movie. It's really great to see Bill Murray doing his thing and, and being charming with this little kid. The fucking slime throwing packs. How fucking cool was that? Right? And they're like the slime that uh, responds to emotion, all that stuff. And I love, love, love when I get to just see those guys hanging out in the fire station and like ordering Chinese food and, and just doing like standard blue collary shit. Those two movies really shaped the way that I wanted a business when I was a kid. How I ran my whole business, which is probably negative. Um, but I was so incredibly shaped by those films. And so to hear that his son, um, who's a director in his own right, was doing the new Ghostbusters with his dad, essentially, because his dad was, um, you know, acting as producer. But if you've seen the interviews, they were essentially sitting together at the monitor. And, and Jason Reitman has made great films, but a lot of his stuff is very sort of dramatic. And I got a little concerned when I saw the trailer, a bunch of kids and farm country. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing out in the farm country and all the farmland and all that shit? I was like, all right. Um, but the movie really fucking pays off. And I want to get into some spoilers here. So if you haven't seen Ghostbusters Afterlife, then just skip forward a little bit, right? Um, but if you have, let's talk some details. What do I like about it? One, I really liked the way that even though they were using a lot of CGI for stuff, uh, they did a lot of practical effects uh, with the dogs and stuff, which I loved. And they kept to the same aesthetic that the first film had as far as the ghosts are concerned and all the effects and, and how the proton packs fired and everything else. Two, I like the toys. They know what's up with Ghostbusters. They know it's all about like built in the basement, like very dangerous equipment. Um, and they spend a lot of time getting close and personal with it. We see more of the traps than we ever have before. I thought that little remote control trap was fucking rad. Uh, spent more time in the Ecto-1. Um, all that stuff was a lot of fucking fun. Um, and I also liked... Um, the characters, I, look, I think if I, if I had anything negative to say about the movie, it's part the, and the only reason why I probably have this opinion is that I'm older. I've, I remember the first couple of movies. I remember wanting to spend more time with those guys. I wanted to spend more time in the Ghostbusters house. I saw the, the other day behind the scenes, sort of like promotional EPK for Ghostbusters 2, and they were interviewing Rick Moranis. And Rick was like, I keep telling them they should make this a fucking series. Well, well, Rick, that was obviously 40 years or whatever it was, 30 years before a series got to the point where it could have been made. But it's a shame 
that it never was. And yes, there's all these stories about Bill Murray and how unhappy he was dealing with the packs and everything else. Um, but I just wanted to spend time with those guys. Anytime, like in the first film when they did their montage, when they were running through the city and chasing ghosts and stuff, it's like, I want to go do that. I want to be a part of that stuff. I want to see how they're using the science and the toys to do these things. That's kind of what I what I wanted from it. And so with this film, I really fucking dug it. It's very emotional. Um, it's very beautifully shot. Uh, but I felt like this film should have been the first act of a, of a, of a movie that contained more of the guys. I really wanted her to place a call, the dudes to show up and then them all to work together, uh, and not feel so crowbarred in at the end, which I think that's a complaint that some folks do have where it feels like the, the guys just sort of conveniently show up when they're supposed to show up. I wish that they were, there was more part of that. And I'm sure there's a lot of logistical reasons why that couldn't have happened. I'm sure that there's like booking specific people and having specific people. But there's a piece of me that feels like Dan Aykroyd would do whatever the fuck you asked him to do. So if he was just in the movie the whole time, what the fuck? You know what I mean? And as the movie leaves itself at the end, um, you do feel like that they're setting it up where that could be the second, I guess, of these new movies. Which if it's just like her and the kids hanging out with Dan Aykroyd and, and Winston, you know, and, and like at the station doing shit and chasing ghosts, I'd watch the fuck out of that. You know what I mean? Um, but look, I'm just being picky. I think it's really great. Um, the other thing that I found to be fascinating um, was the idea, and it's sort of like an ethical question that often comes up that I think is just eventually going to disappear. I don't think anybody's going to be asking that ethical question at a certain point, but we should now. Was the, the, the digital creation of Harold Ramis for the piece? It's kind of weird, right? I mean, he's been dead for a while. And, you know, bringing him back and his likeliness back. And uh, yeah, it's under good hands. It's in, it's in that whole thing. But like, hmm. You know, I don't know how I felt about that. And I I actually enjoyed it more when they weren't showing his face. Because, spoiler alert, they show his face at the end on the whole, all that shit that they do. I loved the opening of the movie. I thought that was fucking killer. The opening of the movie was really good. Um, and then even when he was like just moving lights as a ghost and stuff, even if that was the only form that we got of him, I would still be fucking cool with that. The recreation of his face and all that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I was I was thinking the same thing when I watched, uh, I finally got to see the Anthony Bourdain doc, which came out, <sighs> which I've got mixed feelings on whether or not I should have seen that. But there's a, there's a, they do the same kind of thing in that where they use this new technology, which you feed it enough audio clips of someone speaking and it can recreate their voice. And so then they had Anthony Bourdain say stuff that he never said for different sequences in the film. And I know this is old news. This is something that was talked about quite some, a while ago, but um, I actually watched it. And it, it, like ethically, you're just like, eh, I don't know, man, you know? It's weird. It's, we have to at least talk about it and sit there and go, is this something that should be done? 
even though we can do these things, should it be done, can it be done? Because at the end of the day, what you're getting rid of is you're getting rid of the filter that that individual has on what they say and what they do. And now what you're getting is the nostalgic viewpoint on that or what a fan would think you could say or can do. And this technology is so fucking insane. Like I can load a bunch of clips of Obama fucking talking and then heck next week on uh, Love of the Process, Obama. And I'll just sit here and fucking type up everything that I want him to say. It's getting that ridiculous. So we have to ask these ethical questions because you can't trust a photograph right now, right? You can't trust a fucking photo. You're looking at a photograph for, we were looking at photographs of Jennifer Lawrence the other day that were published in, um, in Vanity Fair. And it's like, she doesn't look like that, right? You can't trust an Instagram post. I did post a couple weeks ago with the new Photoshop um, app on my phone and just showing you how ridiculous you can change people's faces and change their eye sizes and their cheek sizes and the, just the dialing in of perfection that happens. So you can't trust a fucking photograph right now, right? I don't want to get to a, to a point where I can't trust an audio clip, whether or not that person actually said that thing, whether or not that's coming from the brain, the experience the 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 filter of that human being right it's a it's a fascinating and an interesting conversation to have about that and i'm talking to you a lot of filmmakers out there a lot of young directors a lot of storytellers that are listening to the show you need to ask that question because if we get to the point which we very well will with all this new tech that's coming out the Unreal Engine stuff, which is amazing, um, where you're you're going to be able to create a movie in your own space and barely interact with people. So you're going to be able to create uh, completely CG actors. You're going to be able to replicate someone else's voice. You're going to be able to go through this whole process of doing that stuff. And it's amazing. The tech is amazing for that. But here's what you're going to lose. You're going to lose collaboration. You're going to lose other viewpoints. So if you're if you're doing a film well, you're casting the people that you're going to work with, you're casting your crew, you're casting those folks around you to bring their life experiences, to bring an alternate view, to challenge your ideas. I don't care who the fuck you are. If you're just sitting down early on and writing stuff down on a piece of paper, it's all coming from one standpoint. It's all coming from your experiences. And maybe if you're writing something that is based upon your life and based upon your childhood, and if you're doing it correctly, a little bit of every film has elements of those in it. But maybe if you're just doing it specifically and you're like, this is what happened, then all right, I'll give you credit for that. But most of the time you're not writing about fucking aliens, you're writing about, you know, uh, boxers, you're writing about these other folks that you're reading about, that you're observing from the distance, that you're seeing somewhere else. You're making your own view, your own perception of what this person should be or how this person should act or what it is that they should say. And it's skewed, right? And oftentimes you need an editor. Oftentimes you need folks that are there to check you, to put you in your place a little bit and go, really, it's the, but what you're doing is this and what you're doing is that. And 
but maybe that's not the way it should be done because other people don't see it that way. Like you just need to have that bounce board. You need to have that collaboration. You don't want to get to a point where you're not doing it with other people because then it's going to get weird, right? It's going to get weird. And we're seeing this with everything right now. We're seeing this with photos. We're seeing this with like articles online with, with, uh, uh, you know, uh, reporters, like there's, there's, there are no editors for half this shit. There are, there's, if you have, uh, an account on a blog, um, that places high on Google, you can write articles about whatever the fuck you want with no fact checking, no editor there to question what it is that you do. No consequences about that stuff. And we've seen how that shaped everything. You have to be aware that this stuff exists. And as always, when we create new tech and we create new stuff, we have to start to ask sort of ethical questions. And no one wants to admit that a lot of these ethical questions are there for a good reason. There was a period of time growing up as a kid where people were like, TV is bad for kids. It's going to fuck with kids. It's going to fuck with them. Guess what? It did. And a lot of people don't want to admit that. But I was raised in that whole time period where it was suddenly legal because Reagan, it was legal to advertise towards children. And so you had sugar cereals. You had all this stuff that was fucking with us to the point where it's so ingrained in so many folks from my generation, the generations after where uh, they were raised by television because oftentimes they had parents that had worked multiple jobs. So kids would come home and watch TVs. TVs were their babysitters. TVs were their elements. I just got through telling you that when I feel like shit, I put on a Godzilla movie. So it does affect us. By the way, I saw the ad. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, but I saw the ad for the new Sesame Street doc that's going to be on HBO. That looks really interesting. They tackle a lot of this stuff in that. Very fascinated with that. Um, so anyway, I don't know. Got a little deep there, off on a tangent. But let's take a minute here. Let's take a break. I want to, before we get into the contest, I want to take a moment uh, to talk about our sponsors. Let's see, what kind of music? Let's see if I can do this live. What do I have for music cues here? What do we got? That's too intense. Too intense. What else do I get on this board? Hold on. There we go. Do some sponsors to this. So first up, our good friends over at Puget Systems. I just heard recently how far Puget Systems has been getting. So many of the listeners of the show have bought themselves a Puget Systems computer. Um, you guys write to me. You guys tell me about it all the time. I talk to the guys over at Puget and they are killing it right now. Everybody loves their PCs. I think it's really fucking cool. I think it's awesome that uh, a lot of folks are turning away from the giant marketing conglomerates, uh, really coming to terms with the fact that when you, a lot of these companies are telling you that you have choices, but you really don't. And these are things that you don't realize until you buy this tool until you buy this gear and you start to really put it through its paces and it crashes on you or you can't get into hidden folders or you have to you can't you can't open the fucking thing up because you need to make it faster suddenly and the whole philosophy of well just throw it out and get another one 
there are floating islands out off the coast of fucking California made of plastic because of that shit. Right? Haven't we figured out that it's better to buy quality than quantity? It's better to buy stuff that's going to be around for like 10 years. I'd rather use the shit out of my gear and and finally throw it away when there's nothing left. Like it has nothing left to give. And my Puget Systems, I've had the oldest one for over, over seven years. I think we're pushing eight years right now. Wow. Think about that. What is the turnaround on your fucking phone for Christ's sakes? You know? Build yourself a tool that works for you. Build yourself a tool that can be upgraded and customized to do exactly what it is that you want it to do. Build yourself something that won't tell you how to use it. You tell it what it is that you want. And that's why I love Puget Systems. These guys build custom PCs based upon the software you use. So if you head on over to PugetSystems.com, you can choose a baseline system based upon that software, which is super cool. And then here's the big bonus. These guys want to make it customized to you. So tell them what you're doing. Tell them what you're spending. Tell them what you're making. These guys take pride in the people that they build computers for. And they support the PC industry. They post their benchmark tests. They don't manufacture hardware. The best part about them is that they're not going to be peddling off a warehouse full of shit that they've made. They do all the benchmark tests. They find all the new equipment. They put it together the right way and they send it to you. And customer support with a real fucking person. I can't say enough great things about Puget Systems. I'm proud to have them as a sponsor on this show. They've been supporting me since the beginning of time. I love these guys. Head on over to Puget Systems. The link is in the description of the bio. Let them know that I sent you. Head on over to, I think it's at Puget Systems on Instagram and say hello. And if you're ready to build that new edit system, think twice. Check out PugetSystems.com. Also supporting the show are my good friends over at Quasar Science, one of the best advancements in cinema over the past, eh, at this point, seven years or whatever it's been, has been LED lighting. I love lighting. You guys know this. I just get off on it. I just had a long conversation with a guy that I'm probably going to work with on a new film, and we just talked forever about lighting. He's like, Mike, I really like the lighting in your movies. I go, well, I didn't do it all. <laughs> but I love natural lighting. I love walking through sets with lighting. Um, and uh, one of the best things that I have seen lately have been has been LED technology. I have a bunch of Quasar tubes. If you guys have been watching my commercials for Dale Strong or any of the videos that I did with Gina, I use tubes and all those all those videos. They're such a great tool. Uh, very low power consumption. You can run them off battery. You can chain them together. If you get the rainbow LEDs, you can dial in any color of the rainbow. It's fucking great. I love them. Awesome company. Head on over to quasarscience.com and check them out. Um, and while we're on this tangent, let's also talk about our other sponsors. Of course, I have another lighting sponsor. Um, stand by. Hold on. Three seconds. Just want to make sure that I do this correctly because I have a new read from these guys. Nothing better than listening to Mike look for emails. Here we go. Here we go. My friends over at ETC. ETC. Okay, so you guys, how many of you know 
with a show of hands, how many of you know what an ETC light is or what the company ETC is? Um, if you have gone to uh, rock shows, live performances, you'll often see their lights hanging from the ceiling. They have been doing live show stuff for years. Um, and Gina and I love to use uh, their Source 4 fixtures. Um, you've seen me do them in all the B. Miller videos. Gina likes a very focused spotlight. And ETC uh, makes these Source 4 lights that you can put different lenses in the front of. So you can actually make like a very, very, very small uh, spotlight or you can make a broader spotlight. They're great for backlights. Um, we used one of them in, um, what was the video with the cowboy hat that we did for B. Miller? Um, that was, I think she was backlit by an ETC. That one's really great. Um, so head on over and check them out. Let me do an ad read from them. Let's look for one. All right, let's do the deep red color mix ad read. Okay, a lot of us in the film industry have been using the iconic Source 4 profiles. Odd set, those are the lights I was talking about. ETC, the maker of the Source 4, has been working hard in recent years to give us incredible new fixtures specifically to be used with cameras. I have my hands on their new FOS slash 4 for now. It's awesome. I took a photo, check it out on my Instagram page. I took a portrait of Gina that's backlit. I used that Fresnel and only that Fresnel with a bounce card and it's beautiful. One of the most eye-catching aspects of this line of fixtures is the color mix. Their Luster X8 array includes deep red emitters, which not only open up more color mixing options than you get with your standard traditional four color studio fixture, but also lead to richer, more natural beams of light at any color point you use. Once you use these fixtures on skin tones for yourself, it is truly surprising how much of a deep impact red makes on any situation on set. If you're not familiar with ETC, all their fixtures are backed by a 24-7 customer support. See the FOS slash 4 panel in the Fresnel for yourself by visiting etcconnect.com backslash love the process. That is etcconnect.com backslash Love the process. As always, the link is in the bio or the description of this episode. Um, okay, who am I missing? All right, I think I got, oh, our boys over at Black Magic. Um, head on over to blackmagicdesign.com and check out all of the great new stuff that these guys are putting out. If you guys are colorist, want to be colorist, if you're using Resolve, uh, Black Magic makes Resolve. Uh, they also have those amazing um, color panels that they use or their uh, control arrays. Uh, very expensive. I don't have one, um, but uh, they're really fucking cool. Um, I got involved with these guys because I needed to get a new camera. It had been ages since I got a camera, and I wanted to get something that would stick around for a while, would be able to shoot uh, B-roll footage or second unit footage for the movie, um, I ended up getting a 6K Pro from these guys, their Pocket Cinema 6K Pro. I never thought I'd shoot 6K. I was like, it's kind of fucking extreme. It's amazing. The footage is gorgeous. It runs their raw files directly in a Premiere timeline. So if I want to race through my edit, if I want to do color correction using um, Lumetri, it's all there. It's fucking great. And on my Puget system, I was running multiple tracks, I'd say 24 tracks plus a video, 6K, real time. 
So whatever their, their bra codec that they use, it smokes. It's really great. Um, I can't say enough good things about my Blackmagic camera. I cannot say enough great things about blackmagicdesign.com. So head on over there. The link is in the description of this episode. And this is a good segue. I think this is a good segue. Let's see. Let's do, let's do a music cue for this. Hold on. Yes, little magic sword. So I'm excited. One of the things that I did when I was shooting with the Black Magic camera is I shot for Christina B, Christina P, Michael, and Crayshaw. And uh, we did a music video called The Bomb Song. And I did a bunch of press photos wearing my tracksuit, which is now, now been dubbed the director's tracksuit, my tiger suit, AKA tiger suit. Um, and you guys, <laughs> you guys loved it. It's so funny, the response that those suits have had. And let me give you a, a little history, okay? So I did not find these. David Gruda found these. He was out here hanging out with us right after COVID. And uh, we went out for dinner and he wore his tracksuit. He had a black, I think it was his tiger. Let me check it out. He had a black suit that he wore and it was fucking great. And he's like, you have to get a suit. And uh, one of the deals for uh, the mom song video was that I was going to make uh, Christina and uh, Krayshawn wear tracksuits for it. And I said, look, if you guys are gonna wear tracksuits, I'll wear a tracksuit. And so I went and picked one up and I found it um, at these guys G-Style. So if you go to gstyleusa.com and let me do it right now. If you click on men or women and go down to track suits, all right, bam, here we go. This is where we got them. And I have the Royal Floral Tiger track suit in blue, if you guys don't know. Um, and here's the exciting thing. I've got such a great response from these track suits. Everybody posted that this should be my directing suit. Other guests, Prano, the director of Sensor wrote to me and she goes, where the fuck did you get that track suit? I've had producers, I've had cinematographers all sending me pictures of them in the tracksuits. I think we've somehow stumbled upon an epic new look for directors. So I had to reach out. I reached out to the dudes over at G-Style and I said, you guys have no idea. <laughs> the effect that we've had with this tracksuit and they've agreed to do a contest. Stop the music. They've agreed to do a contest. So this is what we're going to do. We're giving away this month, I'm gonna give away two free track suits to two lucky listeners of the show. Okay, and I know you guys are waiting, bated breath. What do we gotta do? Uh, it's not gonna be easy, all right? What you need to do is you need to take a photo of yourself or have someone take a picture of you doing your best director's pose. Now, what is a director's pose? These are poses that you see on any press kits for directors. Usually it's a director from behind the camera 
pointing to do something or maybe a director looking over someone's shoulder at a script and, and, and embedding them with some sort of fucking genius fucking thing. Or it's uh, a director that is just standing in his epic set or epic environment. Or maybe it's just what you think a director should be doing. What is the shot that of you that will end up in American Cinematographer, okay? So take a picture, have someone take a picture of you in your best director uh, pose. I will post one of my ridiculous director poses on my Instagram account, at Mike Petchy. Take the photo, post the photo, uh, tag me in it, or just send it to me in a direct message and say, this is what I want, and head on over to G-Style, so that's G-StyleUSA.com, go to the tracksuit session, section and let me know what tracksuit you want. I will pick two winners. In the next few weeks, we will announce the winners and you will get your hands on a director's tracksuit from G-Style USA. <laughs> I love this contest. I love I love that we've made this work. <laughs> I love that everybody loves this tracksuit because Gina hates it. Gina, you like my tracksuit? No. What do you mean, no? Which tracksuit would you get? None of them. What do you mean, none of them? Look at maybe, this one. Maybe that one. The uh, velour tracksuit? Yes. That looks fucking amazing. And then they have this leopard tracksuit. I like the, I think Rick Darge needs to get the floral tiger <laughs> so tracksuit. G-striped floral tiger tracksuit. Yeah, he needs to get that one. If you're listening to the show, Rick, you need to get that one. We are going to have the filmmaker tracksuit mafia is what's happening. There are some amazing... I know. That's what happens when I live in Glendale. The global conquer tracksuit looks amazing. There's a money tracksuit. There are so many great ones here. Um, so choose wisely. And uh, let me know. Send me pictures. Join the contest, uh, and I want you to post your picture on your account, letting you and tell your friends about this contest as well. Uh, you, let me just say this: I never really say this about gear. I always say that it, the gear doesn't define you. I will say this: if you don't have a fucking tracksuit from our contest, then you you have to question whether or not you're a real director. I can't even say it. You have to question whether or not you're a real director. <laughs> Ah, oh, shit. All right. So there it is. Uh, join the contest. Uh, be a part of the In Love With The Process family. And uh, big shout out to everybody. I was posting the numbers. Um, we had a record high for listeners in November. It's crazy. A whole lot of new people listening to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for telling folks about us. We really appreciate it. Um, thank you for clicking on the links because they're traceable links in the description of this episode. If you're listening to the show and you're bored, just click on the links because it tells the sponsors that you are listening. It's important and it's been keeping the show alive and uh, big news coming. I've got brand new sponsors that are covering the show. It's great because, uh, you know, I don't have to be doing this shit for free all the time, which is nice which means I can, I can record more episodes for you guys, which I love. Um, so as always, thanks for listening to the show, everybody. Um, I will be back next week 
on Thursday or Tuesday, rather, Michael, Tuesday with a new episode, lots of new stuff, lots of new guests. Hopefully I'll get today's missing guest on the show. And that's it. So I'll leave you with some music and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>